Well, the Lord got us into Primrose, a retirement center, with my daughter, Sharon. They actually packed for us, my kids. They moved us and they unpacked for us. And uh, we're in a retirement center. An independent living, they say. I found that um, most of them are hard of hearing. <laughs> Over 80% have walkers. And some of the situations that hit them is amazing to me. A new friend I had made had a stroke, first stroke he had. He can't swallow. They have to feed him with a tube, a fine Christian man. And he got pneumonia. Now he's recovering, so thank God for that. Another friend of mine just the other day broke his hip. And there we are with all these dear people, 80 and 90 years old. And I said, Lord, this doesn't really make any sense to me. Why don't you just take us home? I thought that would be a good solution. I couldn't understand it until I read a devotion from Charles Spurgeon. He was a famous English preacher. He quoted Acts 14.22. We must, <clears throat> we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And he said this, God's people have their trials. It was never designed by God when he chose his people that they should be untried people. Trials are part of our lot. They were predestinated for us in Christ's last legacy. So surely, as the stars are fashioned by his hands and their orbits fixed by him, so surely are our trials allotted to us. He has ordained their season and their place, their intensity and the effect they shall have upon us. Good people must never expect to escape troubles. If they do, they will be disappointed, for none of their predecessors have been without them. Although tribulation is thus the path of God's children, his grace to support them and his example to teach them how to endure. And when they reach the kingdom, it will be more than made amends for the much tribulation through which they passed to enter it. Now, most of the people at Primrose are believers. And I see how day by day God gives them grace. To all their suffering, all their agony, their love for the Lord grows brighter. So their reason for these trials. The Lord is purifying our faith. And I was so appreciative of that devotion that I read. I hope it will be a blessing to you. I want to talk to you about heaven, the ultimate deliverance. You know, I had a professor at in seminary that said in the Old Testament the prophets were not concerned about life after death but this life. I wonder how they read their Bible. Remember King David said I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when Job was going through his trouble he did despair at the beginning he contemplated life after death. 
Listen to Job 14, 7 to 9. For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, that its tender shoots will not cease, though its root may grow old in the earth, and its stump may die in the ground. Yet at the sense of water, it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But if a man dies, shall he live again? Now Job in his extreme sorrow, and remember he had it all at once. His children were killed by a tornado. His flocks, his wealth were robbed by uh, people that were thieves. And not only that, but his wife said to him, after all the distress, curse God and die. Get bitter. She was a bitter woman and an angry woman. And yet he said, the Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then along comes his uh, comforters and they try to tell him that he has all these troubles including his physical problems of, of boils on his body because he sinned against God. And uh, in all that trouble he finally comes to an insight that's a comfort to him. He said in chapter 19, 25 to 27, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Notice that Job said, my heart yearns within me to see my Redeemer. So I've decided to share a message on heaven. And uh, I want to share with you that we all yearn for eternal life. And Yeshua has come to reveal heaven to us. He knew because he said, I came down from heaven. I am the bread, the living bread from heaven. He said to Nicodemus, if I tell you earthly things, such as the new birth that takes place here on the earth in our time, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? But to his disciples, he gave this promise. Our scripture text is John 14, verse 1 to 7. Yeshua said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. People fear death. I heard there was one greater fear, and that is to speak in public. Archie did a good job. (laughs) But he said, Don't let your heart be troubled. People fear death because they do not know our Savior. When Lewis, my little brother was hit by a a pharmacy truck and died. My mother went to the rabbi and said, where is Lewis now? And the rabbi said, we don't think in those terms as Jews. 
we're concerned on this life, but he'll live on in your memory. But there was no hope given to her. So that she thought that her little boy, Lewis was in the grave. She lit a candle once a year in memory of him. But when she accepted Yeshua, she had been restored with the hope of eternity. Now, rejecting Yeshua is very serious because it's rejecting the God of Israel. This is something which is so important to understand. This is the most amazing statement anyone can make. You believe in God, believe also in me. No pastor, no politician can ever say, as you believe in God, believe also in me. In John 14, verse 7 to 11, when he was asked about the Father, he said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father in me, the words that I speak to you? I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. He said, you want to know about the Father? Get to know me. When Jesus healed the sick, it was the Father who also had compassion. I remember this uh, Indian woman in India said to uh, uh, a missionary, said, you know, I could almost believe in your God, but he's so great, so awesome, so powerful. How could I trust him? The missionary said, would you trust the God with the face of Jesus? She said, yes. So if you want to know God, the Father, look at Jesus. When he was moved with compassion, the Father was moved with compassion. When he healed the sick and raised the dead, it was the Father doing the work. We don't have to fear God, for God is love. And Jesus came to reveal the Father. So he knew all about heaven because he came down from heaven and returned to his rightful place as the Lord of glory. So we can trust him to tell us the truth about eternity. Now let's get back to our scripture text, starting now in verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. The disciples were slow learners. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I found the three lessons that I want to emphasize here about heaven. Yeshua reveals there is room in heaven for us. There's room. 
for many. Yeshua reveals that he is preparing a place in heaven for us. Each of us has a place when we accept him. He's preparing a special place for each one of us. And thirdly, Yeshua reveals that he is the only way to the heavenly home. We have to know the way, how to get there. And he reveals this to us. So first, Yeshua reveals that there's room for us in heaven. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So Yeshua, who came down from heaven, knew who he was and knew where he came from. And he said, there are many places in heaven. Now, everyone wants life after death, unless they're psychotic. Most people do. In fact, it's interesting that many speculate about life after death. Socrates uh, committed suicide. Remember, he was given a choice to either commit suicide or leave Athens. He decided to take his life. And he spoke to Plato, his disciple, and he wrote down his word, words before, uh, before he took the prison, poison. He's, this is Socrates. He said, I hope for an immortality. He spoke of new life of spring after the death of winter. A seed only dies to germinate into new life. He spoke of the ugly caterpillar that buries itself into a self-made tomb called a cocoon only to break out as a beautiful butterfly. All gave hope to him. But a seed that dies doesn't give life to itself, but to another plant. And when a caterpillar dies, he perishes. So even though in his intelligence and in his self-awareness, he knew that he wanted life after death, but he didn't know the answer to it. Plato also uh, speculated about life after death. He used this, a parable of a cave. He said, we in this world, we're born in this cave. And we're all sitting facing the wall. And behind us, there's an opening. And light comes from another world. And all we see is the projection of shadows on the wall. And he said, now if someone would stand up and turn around and go out, to the, out of the cave, he would see reality. This other world, we're only in a world of shadows. He would see reality. Now, if he came back and he told these inhabitants of the cave what he saw, they would think he was lying and they would kill him. But that's all he could go, uh, that's all that Plato could understand of life after that. He said there's something out there, something of light But you know, Yeshua came from heaven and he tells us the truth about the hereafter. And he said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. There's room for you. (laughs) There's room for everyone if they would only come 
God's way. Secondly, Yeshua will come to take us to be with him. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, he's preparing a place for me. My name's in that place. (laughs) If I prepare a place for you, this minute, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, why does he want want us to be with him? Because we have a love relationship. See, God wants only two things from us. He wants our trust and our love. And we love him because he first loved us. He pursued us. And he brought us to himself. And one thing about love, it wants togetherness. I remember when I was going with Lee in college. And we'd have a date on Friday night. And I would take her back to the girl's dorm. And I had to say goodnight. And I would say to myself, someday I'm going to take her home. Because I love this woman. And we've been married 62 years, and I love her more now than I did then. You see, when you love someone, you want them to be with you. And he wants us to be with us. I know that the Lord is coming back at the time of the rapture for the church. But I think God, Jesus is speaking here not of that time but he's speaking of death what happens when we face death he said I will come and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also in fact uh, David said though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff that comfort me You're going to protect me from any evil, Lord. He has prepared us that special place. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. I'm at home in my body, I'm absent from the Lord. You're home in your body, you're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, rather well pleased to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Death is a wonderful experience. To think that we will leave this body of trouble and we'll enter into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, notice he says, I, will, I prepare a place for you. Now, Far Eastern religion, they don't believe in individuality after death. They claim that that, uh, the ultimate reality is that you will lose your individuality. One guru put it this way, we are like a candle with a flame. In death, that flame is blown out and we cease to exist as an individual. Another guru claims that we are like raindrops that fall from the sky. As the rain drops, we find our way into a stream, then ultimately into the cosmic ocean 
where we lose our, our individuality, our identity. Another guru said we are like individual eggs and in death our shells are broken and we are mixed into a cosmic omelette. They never made any sense to me. But this idea of losing your identity was also the idea of the Sadducees. They, you know, one thing is they didn't believe in the spiritual world. They didn't believe in existence after death. And yet they made their living by serving the temple. Doesn't seem to make sense. I've met pastors that if you talk to them about heaven, they'll say, well, that's just a myth. Why are they pastors? Why don't they believe the word of God? Well, they uh, challenged our Lord. Now, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, we have the conversation. Remember that the Sadducees believed in the Torah, the five books of Moses. They didn't accept the prophets. So the Lord refers back to the Torah. And he says, Have you not read what are spoken to you by God to Moses at the burning bush, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So he said this in the time of Moses. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead for over about 400 years. And he said, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Abraham was still Abraham. Isaac was still Isaac. Jacob was still Jacob. They did not, they did not lose their individuality and in death any more than we will. I will always be me and you will always be you forever. But you will be a much better you. You will be perfected by the grace of God, by the power of God. See, the Sadducees did not know of the power of God to give life and they did not believe the scriptures. I think that's wonderful. I remember attending the death of my college dean, Dr. Shaw. He was brilliant. He had many degrees, a lot of humor, and a lot of love for the students. And I attended his funeral, but I could not conceive that this man, this person was forever extinct. And God said that he has prepared a place for us. Now, if we love the Lord, we want to be with him. Heaven is about being with the Lord who loves us. I was thinking the other day, in less than three years, two and a half years, I'll be 90 years old. Well, may the Lord remember me. <laughs> I'm ready, Lord, anytime. But I still think I can be a blessing. I can counsel the people at Primrose. I pray with them. We see God work in their lives. And maybe I can come and preach again. That would be good. So my life ministry is not over. Now, for his first sermon in an elementary preaching class, Lawrence, an African student, chose a text describing the joys we'll share when Christ returns and ushers us to our heavenly home. 
He said, I've been in the United States for several months now. I've seen the great wealth that is here, the fine houses and cars and clothes. I've listened to many sermons in the church, but I've yet to hear a sermon, a sermon about heaven because everyone has so much in this country. No one preaches about heaven. People here don't seem to need it. In my country, most people have very little, so we preach on heaven all the time. We know how much we need it. Now, we know that the Lord has witnessed to us of heaven, but not only do we have the scriptures that encourage our hearts, we have a witness from heaven called the Holy Spirit. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 5, 9. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. If you have come to the Lord Jesus, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and you know his presence. You feel his love. You feel his comfort. You feel his presence. And it's, he's a guarantee that we're bound for heaven, the Spirit of God who came from heaven. So we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Now where's the Lord? He's not in the grave, right? He's resurrected, but he ascended to heaven. So where are we going to be when we leave our body? So this is not speaking of the rapture or the resurrection at the end time. But when you die, you enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus. In fact, he said there's a heavenly body waiting for us to comfort us. So I love this, and I love the Lord. Thirdly, Yeshua revealed that he is the only way to our heavenly home. You need to know how to get there. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You know, the idea that all religious faith lead to heaven is not true. There's only one way. Now, there's a reason why there's only one way to heaven. There's only one Savior. Yeshua died for us to forgive us our sins, to reconcile us with God. Muhammad didn't die for us. He didn't claim he died for us. Buddha didn't die for us. In fact, Buddha wasn't sure there was any divine being. And none of the Hindu gods ever claimed to have died for us to open the door of heaven. So there's only one. There's a widespread fallacy of universalism. Now, when I mentioned that Jesus is the only way to heaven, I am often challenged by saying to me, you mean to say if I don't accept Jesus that I'll be 
lost forever? I said, that's true. It's unfair. From God's standpoint, it's unfair to reject his love. It's unfair that you would turn away from the Lord. He says, all may come. Come unto me, Jesus said. And so, we're the ones that are unfair to God. But Jesus is not the bad news. The bad news is that we cannot come to the Lord except we come through him. In Matthew seven thirteen, our Lord said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Few in comparison to the vast majority of the world. The Lord knew that the majority of mankind would not come his way. But listen to the encouragement of our Lord who said in Luke twelve thirty two, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When you receive the Lord, you receive the Father. When you receive the Father, you receive his kingdom. Now, in conclusion... The problem is that everyone wants to go to heaven, but they want to go on their own terms. They want to go on their own terms. But I'll tell you, once you accept the Lord Jesus, you have perfect peace and joy. Now I know I am a citizen of heaven with a beautiful place with my name on the door. You can come and visit me anytime. We can have some good fellowship together. We talk about heaven being so far away. It is within speaking distance to those who belong there. We can speak to our Lord Jesus at any time. Dwight L. Moody said, People fear death. Death may be the king of terrors, but Jesus is the king of kings. And he also said, Someday you will read in the papers, D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot tame, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. And then he said, I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. I was born on November 21st, 1928. That's a long time ago. Before most of you discovered Canada. And, but I was born again on June 6, 1943. The old nature will die, but not the new nature, not the new Al-Ranji. He's bound for heaven. As you are, if you're a child of God, do you know where you're going after death? If not, accept the Lord Jesus, the Lord from heaven, and he will prepare a place for you that will be beautiful 
and wonderful and glorious forever. So whatever we have to suffer now, whatever trouble comes our way, God will give us grace to endure it. God will get us through it. Step by step, the Lord will not allow it to overwhelm us, destroy us. But one day he'll say, come on up higher. What a wonderful day that will be. Glory, hallelujah. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we commit the message to you that you may work in the hearts and lives of those who are here, that we may all gather around the throne of God with all the redeemed of all the centuries, the redeemed from every nation, tribe, and people, and we will sing praises unto the Lord. Lord, give me a voice that can sing. (laughs) Give me a voice that can glorify you. I know it will be a wonderful time. If anyone here has not yet come to the Lord Jesus, may your spirit call them into the family of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.